Well, good morning. It is so good to have you with us. Uh, for those of you that have been with us for a while, man, we're in part 34 of our Reflecting the Light series. If you're new with us, or maybe you've only been coming for a couple weeks, all of this previous series is on YouTube. You can go and look it up. This has been a journey throughout the entirety of 2022. We've been studying the life of Jesus. We want to learn to love and lead like Jesus. The things that he was in love with, what did he do? Who did he celebrate? And who did he oppose? And why did he oppose him? And all of that we've been covering and wrestling with since the beginning of this year. We're winding it down. We're in the last few weeks of this series. And, and so you might need to go back and get caught up to speed. I promise you today, you won't need to know everything that's happened before. It just helps put it into context. And we've been going through this series in the book of John. And we've been using John as kind of the roadmap for it today. I'm going to tell you some of the passages we're going to go to some of the other Gospels. And if you're not familiar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as, nice word is the synoptic Gospels. They share a lot of the same stories, but from different perspectives. John has a completely different format. And so that's why we wanted to look at John. Again, there's things that are in the synoptic Gospels that are in John. But there are things in John that aren't in the other Gospels because John had this different relationship with Jesus and wanted to show Jesus from that human side and the divinity and how they work together. And so as we're going through this, the last few weeks has been that time after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he's just pouring into his disciples because he knows that this is the last week of his life. And remember, I ask you, what would you say to somebody that you loved and cared about if you knew that you were going to die in a couple days? What wisdom would you impart? What would you do? And, and Jesus is, is setting into motion what would become the church. His disciples, he's pouring into them. He's the son of God. He's about to go to the cross. They don't understand all this. They don't know it. It's been like drinking from a fire hydrant for the last few weeks and all that he talked about. And last week we talked about how he prayed for us. But the underlying thing, even in his prayer, was one that we would be unified and that we would love each other and that we would love others as well. That that would be the underlying part of, of who we are as followers of him is that we would have love and compassion for those around us, specifically for the believers that we would be unified. But even beyond that, that we would stay connected to God, that we would be in Him as He is in us. Jesus said that He was in the Father, and the Father was in Him, and in the same way He wanted us to be in Him, the way He was in the Father. So there's this whole kind of trickle-down effect, and we are His disciples. So the bottom line is Jesus wanted us connected to Him and loving each other. That's really the bottom line. So now we see Jesus had prayed for us. Now we see him going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Most of the time we covered this story around Easter because we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. But we're going to hit it a little bit, you know, just before Christmas, actually, if you really think about the calendar a little bit. But it really doesn't matter about all those things. Jesus is in the last few moments of his life. He knows that the betrayer is about to betray him. And so what does he do? He takes his disciples and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes Peter, James, and John specifically. And says, hey, 
come with me. And so what we're going to look at today is the last little bit of Jesus's life and how he responds to what's happening around him. Remember a couple months ago, I did a kind of a little series within the series talking about the bigger picture that Jesus understood the bigger picture of what was happening. So the things that he said and the things that he did was in light of a bigger picture. Well, today he's fulfilling that bigger picture in what we're looking at. So I want to talk about Jesus in the garden. And for whatever reason, John doesn't record this, but it is found in the other gospels. And it speaks to the very human side of Jesus. And that's the one thing that I want, the reason I want to focus on this is we see that human. You know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And at this very moment, at this very vulnerable moment, you see the human side of Jesus. And it's sometimes something we don't comprehend. So Matthew 26, that's where we're going to be at. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. So get get over there with me for a minute. I'm going to be reading out the English Standard Version. But Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What a, what a unique experience. Jesus is going and praying, and he brings Peter, James, and John with him to the a little bit further. The rest of the disciples were there, and he says, Hey, pray with me, stay with me, watch with me for an hour. Watch with me. And he goes and prays. And the prayer that he prays is, is where you see that human side. He says, Father, if there is any way possible we can do this different, Do I have to go and suffer these things? He knew what was about to happen. He said he was sorrowful to the point of death. And in some versions, in some of the the versions, it, it, it talks about him sweating drops of blood, that he was in such intense agony over that. Do you understand the humanness that was there? Jesus is fully human as well as fully God. That's why this is so important. He was sorrowful. He was full of sorrow and trouble. So 
the three, I want to point out three things really in this. And I don't know why we always do in threes, but I'm going to point out three things. First of all, he did not go alone. He took Peter, James, and John with him. That's one mistake we often make. We get into this place of really deep sorrow and trouble and and we're one, we're either embarrassed or pride or whatever, and we feel like we have to deal with it on our own. He didn't. He asked them to go with him as he went to pray. Prayer is the key, but he asked, hey, can you come with me? Come with me. And he gets a little frustrated with them when they're asleep, and he's like, can't you just pray even for an hour? That's that frustration, that human side. Because he's at this point of anguish and the disciples really don't understand what's going on. So it leads to the second thing. He was full of sorrow and he was trouble. Man, just that that picture of seeing Jesus go through that agony. I think it's an agony that, that maybe many of us don't understand to feel that kind of anguish and pain. Not only was he going to be going through physical pain, But he was also going through betrayal of somebody that he had poured three years of his life into. He knew it was going to happen, but it still hurts. He knew that his disciples, those that he had poured into, were going to scatter. Scripture said it. They're going to scatter. And ultimately, he's going to be alone to face this. So he he was sorrowful. He was troubled. He knew what he was about to go through. But ultimately, and the final thing I want to point out is he prayed that God's will would be done. Ultimately, he trusted the Father enough. And he's really demonstrating to us he's fully God, fully man. But at that moment, he's saying, look, I don't want to do this. I don't want to experience this pain. I don't want to go through this. Have you ever been to that point where like, oh man, I know what's coming. I know I've got to do this to get to where I want to go, but I really don't want to do this right now where Jesus was. And he said, you know what? I understand there's a bigger picture here, and I'm a part of that bigger picture. So not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And that's really the important part of all this, that he understood this bigger picture. And even though his flesh did not want to suffer and die, he knew that with God's perfect will, he had to trust in that. For us, we're going to go through times and circumstances where it doesn't make sense, it, it hurts, it's painful, it's a struggle. But we have to trust that God's bigger picture is what we have to put our trust in, that, that even if we go through these difficult times, one, we're going to grow, but on the other side of it, God's will will be done. And it will be not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of those that are around us. What if Jesus had relented and not gone to the cross. He could have done it. He could have just slipped out and did something different. What if he had relented? We'd be in a much different place than we are right now. Our world would be lost without the sacrifice that Jesus made. But in his human moments, in that moment of fleshly weakness in a way. And I I won't say that Jesus had a weakness, but, but you see that point of the struggle and the battle that he went through. Scripture tells us that there is no temptation known to man that Jesus did not experience. 
Not everything that Jesus did is recorded. He's, he faced and experienced and lived a life sin-free and full of integrity through some of the most difficult things, things that you and I haven't been able to do. Fortunately, His grace and what He did on the cross and that sacrifice that was made takes care of all of that. But I can't imagine. So we have Jesus in the garden in His prayer. Lord, take this from me, but ultimately, not my will, but yours be done. Do what you need to do. The second thing I want to focus on this last, and again, these are the last moments of Jesus' life. He's being arrested, so His accusers are coming. They're coming to arrest Him. That's when Jesus said, hey, get up, they're here. Now we're going to look at Jesus before His accusers. Everything that we're talking about today happened in the course of an evening, overnight, because He was crucified that next day. This is coming into the crucifixion, the Sabbath, all of that's happening in like a 24-hour span, maybe 36 hours. So when you think about this, this is happening very quickly. So Jesus before his accusers, and we got, we got some large passages of Scripture in this, and we're going to look at some different segments of it, but I want you to see Jesus in a couple different situations. And the first is in John chapter 18, the first 11 verses. So John 18, 1 through 11 says, After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew the place because he had gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. So we're at the Garden of Gethsemane, this prayer that Jesus is just wrapping up this prayer that we just talked about. Verse 4, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And they all drew back and fell to the ground. Remember, I am, that statement was one of the reasons that the Pharisees wanted to arrest Jesus because by saying, I am, that equated him to God. Once again, he asked them, who are you looking for? And they again replied, Jesus the Nazarene, I told you, I am he, and said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of them you had given to me. Then Simon Peter drew his sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Now, the reason I want to point all this out, they come to arrest him. What was Jesus doing right before they come to arrest him? Praying. We just talked about that prayer. He took Peter, James, and John, and he went and prayed. He needed to pray to be ready for the events that were about to happen. It was his preparation for what was coming. That final resolve, that, that final defining moment that says, okay, I'm going to follow the will of God. Now he's resolved, he's ready, now he faces his accuser. He not only... He not only knew that they were coming, but he turned and faced them and said, Hey, who are you coming to get? That man you're looking for, I'm him. Forget about all these other people. Let them go. 
I'm the one that you're coming for. I am Jesus. He didn't face them out of hate and defiance, but he simply said, I am he. Even when Peter steps forward and slashes off the ear, and it's, it's represented in the other Gospels as well, and, and we know that Jesus heals the man, and, and, and Jesus tells Peter, and, and one of the re- recorded things is, you know, those that live by the sword die by the sword, those famous lines. But he even looks at Peter and rebukes him and reminds him, there's a bigger picture. Are you going to keep me from doing what God has asked me to do? Doing what I came here to do. I'm fulfilling that bigger picture that I've been telling you about for these last three years right now. What I'm doing right now is fulfilling that picture. So then we step into the next part of this story. So he's been arrested. He's taken. The disciples scatter. And now he's taken before the high priest. And they try to get Jesus to explain his teachings. So fast forward in John, down to verses 19 through 24. It says, Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he'd been teaching them. And Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and in the temple. Where the people gather, I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded? And Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I am speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Aeneas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus does not try to defend himself. He doesn't. He reminds them that he was very public about the things that he taught. What are the things that you're you're accusing me of? I've been very public with my teachings. Jesus did challenge them to show him where his teachings were wrong. He's saying, look, you have the obligation to prove that I am blasphemous, to prove that I am not who I say I am. The high priest is frustrated. They want to kill him because of his teachings. He's he's depleting their power. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. There's a lot of things that are pushing against. And he, he directly, we talked about who did Jesus oppose? It was the religious elite. Why did he oppose them? Because they were taking the character of God and twisting it. They were making laws and regulations in the name of God that were holding people down, that were keeping people oppressed for their own power and gain. They were abusing the system in the name of God. They were abusing the system. So what does the high priest do? He, he, he doesn't have the authority to kill Jesus, but he's mad, he's angry, he wants to, to have him put to death. So he sends him over to Pilate, who does have the authority, part of the Roman government. So I want to pick up the conversation in verses 28 through 40 of chapter 18 in John of Jesus before Pilate. So let's look at that for just a moment. John 18, 28 through 40. Jesus's trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them 
and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. Do you, you get that? They didn't answer the question. They said, hey, believe us, he's a criminal. That's why we're giving him to you. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Because remember, they were saying, hey, this man's inciting riots. He's saying he's the king. All this stuff that would, that would cause the Romans to execute him. That's what they were trying to get him to do. And so Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews, he asked. And Jesus replied, is that your question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priest brought you to me for a trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus replied, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is the truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. So Jesus is standing there before Pilate. Pilate finds nothing wrong with him. Pilate is not a Jew. He is a Roman. He's the governor that's over that part of Rome, over Jerusalem. He's not a Jew. He doesn't care a bit about what's happening other than he doesn't want riots to happen around him. He just wants peace. Jesus does not defend himself. Actually, what Jesus does, he doesn't talk about it. He explains who he is and why he came. I came to tell the truth. I came to be that truth. So before the, the governor, he doesn't defend himself. He just says, hey, I'm a king, but I'm not a king of this world. I come from above. And I don't know what Pilate thought. Pilate might think, hey, this guy's just crazy. He might have thought, okay, whatever. But Jesus says, I came, I was sent here, and I came to tell the truth. And those that know the truth know that what I'm speaking is true. And Pilate says, look, I have no reason to kill this man. He hasn't done anything. There is no reason to kill him. And that frustrated Pilate, he didn't see a reason to execute him. So if you fast forward a little bit further in John 19, 6 through 12, we see this story continue. And it says in John 19, 6 through 12, When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began to shout, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourself and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. 
He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus had gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Peter demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? Pilate's like, look, I'm trying to help you out here. He's afraid because they, he knows the, there's power in the Jewish God. And he's like, well, is he really from God? And so he's confused. And then Jesus said something that's really significant. You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. He's saying, look, Pilate, the only authority you have is given because God allows you to have that authority. Those that sent me to you are the ones that have sinned. They're the ones that are guilty of, my, of this. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Pilate again saw no reason to kill Jesus. He wanted to release him. And the religious leaders, the ones that wanted to keep their power, wanted to keep their status, they shouted, crucify him. Crucify him. That, that point when Jesus looked at Pilate, and I think, I think those that encountered Jesus could see who he was. And I believe that Pilate saw that there was something different about Jesus. He tried so much to, to release him, but again, he bowed to that pressure and that political pressure. Jesus understood the bigger picture. He knew what must happen to him in order for him to have a relationship. He didn't, he didn't try and defend himself before Pilate. He just spoke truth. He knew what must happen. He understood this bigger picture, and so he's fulfilling that bigger picture. And so Jesus is sentenced to death on the cross. All of this is happening in this really 36-hour period. Because all of this happened from the time on that Thursday when they're praying, leading into Sabbath, beginning at sundown on that Friday, and the crucifixion already happens by then. So the final point I want to point out today is Jesus on the cross. The things that Jesus spoke and the things that he did. How did he respond and what did he say while he was on the cross? So Luke 23, 32-43, I'm going to read out the English Standard Version again for this, but Luke 23, 32 through 43 says this, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one at his right hand and one at his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Then the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. 
And one of the criminals who were hanged rallied at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus understood that bigger picture. Think about the words that he's speaking in this moment. They're, they're nailing him to this cross. And what was his prayer? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they're nailing God to the cross. They're mocking him. They're saying, well, if you were the son of God, why don't you get yourself out of here? He could have. He could have. And if it was you and me in our prideful state, we'd be like, oh, I'm going to prove you. I could do it any time. But not Jesus. He understood the bigger picture. He was fulfilling those moments. He was allowing himself to be sacrificed for you and me. He shows his love and his compassion, even for the man hanging next to him on the cross, who at that moment says, remember me, forgive me. And Jesus says, you know what? You're going to be with me in just a few minutes. That's huge. So huge to the character of who Jesus is. Jesus felt the weight of the sin of the world. Remember I said he, he fully man, fully God. Now, if you look at Matthew 27, 45 through 46, it says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That moment Jesus felt, God turn his back on him because now he became sin. He took all of our sin, past, present, and future, at that moment. Remember, God exists in a plane of time that we don't understand. He has no beginning and end. He sees all of it at the same time, and all sin throughout history came upon Jesus at that moment. Throughout the ministry that Jesus did, those three years that he poured into the disciples, he alluded to this bigger picture, to this greatest purpose. Now it all comes to fruition on the cross. Jesus was able to endure great pain and suffering with grace because he understood that bigger picture. So how does this relate to us? What do we learn from these moments? First thing I want us to remember is before we go through really difficult things, we need to be in places of prayer. Jesus did not face this moment until he had poured out his heart before God in the Garden of Gethsemane. That prepared him to have the strength and the fortitude to, to stand up for what he needed to. Before Jesus even entered in the, into ministry, he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and in prayer, in preparation. 
We need to be in places of prayer. That's why it's so good to start our days with prayer so we can face whatever comes before us. The second thing is he focused, he kept his focus on the bigger picture. He knew that this temporary pain and humiliation would lead to a bigger purpose, that would lead to fulfilling the purpose of why he came. Now, we don't always see that bigger picture. We don't always understand what's going to happen. That's why it's so important that we spend that time in prayer. But being connected to God and understanding there's a bigger purpose to everything, we can endure whatever we're going through because we trust God enough that His purposes and His will will always be better, will always benefit us and those around us. Remember, there's nothing this life has for us. Our life is in eternity with Him. So if this life goes away and we lose everything that's here, it's okay because we have everything with Him. And He promised in His Word that He would take care of us. It's hard for us to come to that place. We have to focus on the bigger picture when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through trial. We have to trust God to get us through. Our faith has to be grounded in Him. As followers of Jesus, we know that God understands our pain and our struggle. Jesus endured all of that. That's why He sent us to the Holy Spirit, so we would never be alone. We always have the presence and the power of God in our lives. So I want to encourage you, no matter what you're facing, no matter where you're at, to learn from Jesus' final moments on this earth in His human form. He was constantly connected to the Father. Now I know we are not fully God and fully man like Him. But He came to show us how to live and He was constantly connected. He prayed. He was also God. But He prayed because He showed us that human side of Him. He relinquished all of His rights as God and He's praying. We have got to be in a place of prayer. We've got to be in a place of listening and hearing the heart of God so that we can be a part of that bigger picture, so we can understand it. And then remember that our lives are a part of a bigger picture of history, that the way we respond, the things that we do, the way we love and lead, we're a reflection of Him to the people that are around us. And the way we live and endure through these difficult times and through struggles speaks to the people that are around us, and they will see God through us. They'll see the love of Jesus through us, but we can't do that if we're not in prayer, if we don't know Him, if we don't hear His voice, if we don't study His Word. And remember, we are never alone. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us with all of this, to help us understand His Scripture, to help us hear His voice, to speak into us, to give us checks when we need to stop and to to give us the boldness when we need to move forward, to give us the strength when we need to endure. We are His. So if you're struggling with trusting Him, and we talk about trust a lot, because I think that's the key. The key of faith is putting our trust in Him, even though we don't know and understand how it's all going to work out. So I want to pray with you today that you will develop a little bit more trust you give just a little bit more of your life to Him today. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to expand more in your life so that you too can live a life 
that is a reflection of Jesus so that the lives around us, can we can fulfill that bigger picture for us, that we're a piece of that puzzle that impacts this world. We don't have to know how all those pieces fit together. It's, it's not that we are here to do one great thing. Our lives are that great thing that we're to live out. If we live our lives to honor God, we're doing the great things. Whether they're things that will give us human praise or not is irrelevant. We just want to stand before God and hear, well done. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I thank you for modeling to us how to live within a bigger picture. Give us your grace and mercy. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for our weakness in those things. And Lord, I pray right now that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that you would remind us of that bigger picture, that you would help us to come into a deeper relationship with you. And Lord, those that are here that don't know you, I pray that they would come to faith in you today. Lord, that you would meet every need that we have and give us the strength for whatever we face today, for whatever we're going to face tomorrow. And Lord, we put our trust in you, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. And if you have questions, if you're struggling, click that prayer button. Let that window open up so that we can talk with you. Please feel free to email us, call us, so that we can share with you what we're learning from God. And, and if we don't have the answers, we'll dig for them. We don't know everything. We love you, and we thank you for being a part of our family. We'll see you next time.